Hello and welcome to the Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Race, your host, and we are with a very good friend of mine, um, known him for over 10 years now, can't believe it, uh, a convert to the Catholic faith. Uh, he travels around the world leading pilgrimages uh, in the Holy Land, in Rome, in Europe, across, across. he does over over eight or 10 pilgrimages a year. We're going to get to the bottom of that. Also, um, an author, of, we've got four of his books, um, uh, author of Upon This Rock, this is one. We've got St. John's Gospel, that's number two there, The Faith for Beginners. But guess what? The one we're going to really be talking about today is this one, best-selling book, Crossing the Tiber. And this, the author is none other than Steve K. Ray, and he joins me live from the United States. Hello, Steve. Hello. Good to talk to you again, Sharpell. You look just like you did 10 years ago. <laughs> Thank you very much. You, you too. You might, be, you might be losing a little more hair up here, but but you look the same. <laughs> I might have to start investing in a, a Cobra hat. Look. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for joining. Um, it's been so good, and I'm so blessed to have been in touch with you over the years and, and just monitoring and, and following you on um, on social media and your website. Um just, just very quickly, I mean, how, how are things going with yourself and family and Janet? Doing great. I've been married to that beautiful woman for 43 years now. Love her more now than when I married her. We have uh, four kids, ages, I'm going to guess, from 41 to 28. And uh, they're all grown up. They got their own houses now. So Janet and I have this empty nest, and I love it. Absolutely <laughs> love the empty nest. And we now have 18 grandchildren, and two of them are 17. 17-year-old boys born four hours apart. And one of them said to me the other day, Papa, will you pray for me? And I thought, oh, no, what's wrong? What's wrong? He says, I'm thinking of becoming a priest, and I would like you to pray for me. And wow. I said, I will certainly pray for you. So I've got at least one that wants to be a priest. And one, the other 17-year-old boy, he's a concert pianist. He can play like Mozart. He just got 101 out of 100 in the, in the Illinois state exams. He's incredible. But these are my grandkids. You know, I got 18 of them now, and I'm really proud of them. And all of them love the faith. And I'll tell you what, these grandkids are excellent at the Bible and at apologetics. And I tell people, you try to convert any of my grandkids out of the Catholic Church, and they'll bite your head off. <laughs> well, you planted the seeds. Absolutely. <laughs> Through your children and then now their children. So yep. they, they watch granddad. Yep. And they're all being homeschooled too. My, I homeschooled our kids and now all my grandkids are homeschooled. Wow. Fantastic. I think uh, the whole globe is homeschooling now through the whole COVID-19. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. Um, has that affected you, by the way? Um, how, I mean, oh, obviously yeah. pilgrimages and, and things like that. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I, maybe I shouldn't say this on your show, but I don't buy into all this um, virus thing. And I don't call it the COVID-19. I call it the Wuhan virus because that's what it is. It's a Chinese virus. And I think a lot of it is media hyst hysteria that's whipped up. And I think a lot of politicians have been afraid to be accused of doing too little too late. So everybody, I think, went overboard on this. And especially here in our United States. In my state of Michigan, for example, our governor closed everything down. You couldn't even go to the store and buy seeds or shovels or anything to work in your yard or your gardens. But of, of course, the liquor stores were open and wow. abortion clinics were open because they were life affirming. You wow. have to keep the abortion clinics open, but hospitals and doctor's offices 
they're, they refuse to allow them to do elective surgery. If I needed a surgery, I, I would not be able to go in and get it. But of course, a girl can go in and get an abortion. I think a lot of this is political and I don't buy into it. And I hope that's not too politically incorrect for Australia. I think one thing we, yeah, definitely many people can agree on. There's an inconsistent approach here across the globe. And exactly. as you're saying, uh, we've got schools exactly. open on one hand, sort of semi-open. And then we've got... Uh, um, over in Australia, we've got hardware stores open, but um, but we've got sort of other uh, businesses. So many businesses closed, and and, and so the churches sort of are mix, closed. Like and churches, churches are closed. It's not essential, they're, right? They're non-essential, but the liquor stores and abortion clinics are essential. Yeah, and that's the inconsistency we're finding. Yeah, so, but anyway, when they shut everything down, Israel is doing the same thing, and they close their borders, and all the flights stop. So, at this point, so far, I've lost eight buses. Well, first of pilgrims eight buses of pilgrims. So it's devastating for us. So I don't have any work basically for eight months. And um, we're not one of the lucky ones where we get government assistance. So we just don't have any income coming in for eight months. I hope that it picks back up and we'll be able to do pilgrimages again. We have one scheduled for July at the end. We're hoping that flies. And also a cruise in September, St. Paul. And then we're going to um, Israel and um October, November, December, and March, we have one planned with you guys. We've yes. got one planned with Harvest where we're going to go to the Holy Land with a bunch of Aussies, which I'm going to really enjoy. Absolutely. I can't wait to be on that. I'm making sure I'm going to that one. Yeah, I hope I want you to be on that one. I love showing people like you the land of Israel and the Holy Land and all these sites because First of all, you are so enthusiastic about the faith and the Bible, and you need to see these places. It's it's your right, in a way, to see these places where it actually happened. Plus, I want to show you, because when somebody's enthusiastic as you, it just makes me excited to show you all these places. I mean, I just get up in the morning over there. I can't wait to show Charbel Capernaum and the, and the tomb. It'll be a lot of fun. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to have all the promo up very soon about that. Um, so looking forward to, to letting people know more. Um, I, I want to invite people uh, as we're going to get to know more about Stephen's story. Um, to you can post any questions in the comments, I have it open in front of me, and as I see them, uh, we will be um, uh, asking on your behalf. And so, we've got about uh, 40 minutes in this uh, podcast, and we'll keep going right till 9 a.m. Uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And, uh, and, and make sure you ask anything you like, and, and I'll ask on your behalf in the second half of this show. But um, are you ready to dive into the story, Steve? Yeah, I am. But with those questions, tell them to make them easy questions, all right? <laughs> it's, it's already 6 o'clock at night yeah. here, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I do this kind of thing all the time. I love answering questions, and I love uh, being challenging people and being challenged. It's just a great thing. Catholics have nothing to fear, by the way, with questions. But, yeah. yeah, let's jump into the story. You want me to start? Please, yeah. I mean, this is what I'm holding in my hand. This is a, a bestseller. Crossing the Tiber. Uh, you also have a, a CD that's a bestseller, Finding the Fullness of Faith. So let's let's dive in. And you weren't born a Catholic. Let's let's talk about your faith upbringing. All right. By the way, that book is selling far better now than when I wrote it because uh, you know people have found out. First of all, just so people know, Crossing the Tiber. They say, what is that? Well, the Tiber River runs through Rome, and it's a way of saying when you cross the Tiber. You leave the world and you cross the river and you come to the Vatican and you accept the authority of the church. So I've crossed the Tiber River and now I have accepted the authority of the Catholic Church. I'm on the other side. 
there's still a lot of people that are thinking about crossing over the Tiber River. And there's a lot of people splashing in the river, but I want to see them get all the way across because you never look back once you're here. Yes. Okay. My mom and dad were uh, born in the Chicago, Illinois area, and they were pagans. They didn't never had any religious upbringing. They weren't taught to read the Bible, pray, or any, never went to church. They got married young. They had 12 years of miscarriages. They moved to Detroit because Henry Ford was hiring people for $5 a day. My dad jumped in a old Model A car, drove up here to Detroit, got a job, and he lived there. After 12 years of miscarriages, my mom said one day she was getting ready to go shopping. She had her keys in her purse in the car. She turned on the radio, and she heard a voice. And the voice told her that she was a sinner and that she was going to hell because of her sin. But that God loved her so much, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die. And he shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary just for my mom. And if mom would believe in Jesus, she'd go to heaven. And mom was so, she'd never heard anything. She said, Steve, I dropped my purse and my keys on the floor and I started to cry. And I asked God to save me, just like that man said on the radio. By the way, my mom is 98 and a half years old now. And if I took you over to visit her today, Shirebell, uh, she would tell you that story. It's still her favorite story to tell how she found Jesus by hearing Billy Graham on the radio. That's the voice she heard was Billy Graham. Well, my dad thought he was dying. So he says, oh, if there's a God, please help me. I don't know if you exist. I don't know. I don't know how to pray. But if you're up there, reveal yourself to me. My dad went to work the next day in the morning at Ford Motor Company. A man came up and said, Charlie Ray, you need Jesus Christ in your life. After only 12 hours, my dad heard us. So my mom and dad both became, well, let, wait, for, let me back up a minute. I usually ask people, do you think it was a Catholic that came and talked to my dad about Jesus? Most people say no, and they kind of laugh and say, uh-uh. They're right. It was a Baptist. Because Catholics don't do that kind of thing. We don't tell people about Jesus, do we? We're too shy. We're too scared. Catholics just don't do that. It's personal. It's private. You don't talk about it. That's a shame. Yeah. That is a shame. I My goal in life is to, before I die here, Catholics say, of course it's a Catholic. It's our gospel. It's our Bible. We should tell everybody about Jesus. Well, anyway. My dad wasn't dying because he died uh, seven years ago at 94 years old. My mom and dad were married for 73 years. And after they became Baptists, they said, Jesus, please give us kids and we'll raise them for you and I'll, we'll give them Bible names. A year later, I was born. I was an answer to my mom's prayer, she said. Except she said, when you became Catholic, then God misunderstood my prayers. He misunderstood what I was praying for. But anyway, um, that's the beginning of the story. They Then they had three boys, Stephen, David, and Timothy. They named us after Bible, New Testament. And uh, they took us to church every Sunday. We went to Sunday school. We went to uh, we went to vacation Bible school and Wednesday night prayer meetings and Sunday night hymn singing. I know all the good old hymns, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. You start singing any Baptist hymn and I'll finish it for you. But anyway, they, they were very good parents. They taught me what it meant to be holy. My mom and dad were holy. They loved Jesus with their whole heart. They sat every morning praying and studying the Bible together. They had their problems, but they always prayed and resolved them, and they gave me a good, solid Christian upbringing. And when I married my wife, it made it easy because I had a good school. I had watched my mom and dad as Christians love each other, reconcile when there was problems, put Jesus first in their life, and um, 
a great gift, which is why I'm not anti-Protestant, by the way. I love the way I was raised as a Baptist, although it has its mistakes and problems, which we'll talk about soon. And um, they, we had to memorize Bible verses. First one I learned was, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Oh, I'm sorry, Sherbell, I made a mistake. It's uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but everlasting have. John 3.16, you have to say where you find it, the book and the chapter and the verse. And then we had to learn to do this, and then I'll be quiet and let you ask me another question. Then we had to learn this when I was about eight years old. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, First Saint Kings, First Saint Chronicles, Ezra, Esther, Joseph, Psalm, Prophets, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nabal, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the books of the Old Testament. But most Catholics wouldn't know it if I made a mistake. But I did make a mistake. I left seven books out of that list. Yes. Because that was the Protestant list I memorized. Well, that's the beginning of my life. <laughs> Am I talking too fast? No, that's fantastic. We love it. Um, okay, okay. Okay. Uh, not fast enough. <laughs> but th this is quite um, quite important. Um, this gave you the foundation of your relationship, if you like, with Christ. Yes. And, and so it's, it's late. It's sort of introduced Christ to your family, your family setting. Um, and then tell us a bit about now how that's... Um, taken you i guess your relationship with god and then and then let's talk about then that then the transition to, to catholicism well it always you know when i have a lot of people send me emails and said i, I and i've had just several even this week saying i i never feel forgiven and i i'm having a hard time i'm doubting with things and i i'm having a hard time trusting god or believing that i'm forgiving or just issues like that with the faith i always ask them what was your relationship with your father? And almost nine out of 10 times they say, well, my father and I fought or my dad left me or my dad was mean and cruel and he would never forgive me and I could never do anything right in my dad's eyes. And I say, that's why you have a problem with God. Because when you say, God, our father who art in heaven, you transpose that to your father and your father was terrible. He didn't love you. He didn't forgive you. He didn't approve of you. So you always feel under this great pressure of a father. Now you think of God as your father and you have that same cloud hanging over you. And that's what happened. My situation was that, and by the way, a lot of people who have problems with God, that's a good way to start. Where, what was your relationship with your dad and see if you can work that out? Because if you can work that out, it helps you then work out how you view and experience God. I was blessed. My dad was the most loving, wonderful father in the whole world. I'll give you an example. Ford Motor Company, he worked the same job for 35 years. He never had an, an advancement. And I said to him, Dad, when I grew up, I said, why didn't you ever get uh, advanced? Why weren't you ever a manager or a supervisor? Why did you always have that? And, you know, we never had much money in our family. We never went out to a nice restaurant. We never went anywhere on vacation, just to the to the park or something. And my dad says, well, he said, it's real easy, Steve. He said, they used to call me in and say, we want to give you a promotion. We're going to double your pay. And my dad always said, I, I asked him one question. If I take this promotion, will I have to work weekends and Saturday and Sundays? And they said, of course, it comes with the extra pay, Charlie. My dad says, I'm sorry, I have to turn you down because I have three boys at home that need me more than Henry Ford does. And my dad was there at five o'clock. every. I, I get choked up when I talk about that. But my dad was home at five o'clock every night. He always brought us a gift. 
while mom made dinner. He played with us. We ate dinner together and we didn't have a television. He wouldn't buy us a television. And by the way, if you have kids, get rid of the television. It's the best thing you can do for your families to get rid of cable and all of that garbage. Keep so you can watch EWTN and good CDs and movies and things. But my dad, every evening while mom was cleaning up the kitchen, dad would read us books. He read us stories about saints and about heroes and about war and about challenges and all these wonderful Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn and all these old classics. And then at night he'd put us to bed and he'd pray with us and he'd sing um, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I know I'm not a good singer, but boy, that still brings tears to my eyes. My dad sang that every night when he put us to bed. So that's how it helped me with my understanding of God and the faith. I watched my mom and dad. Kids will love what their parents love. If a mom and dad love the Lord and they love each other, the most important thing a dad can do for his kids is to love their mother. That's the most important thing a father can do for his kids is to love their mom. And that's so important. And I watched that. So it enabled me as I grew up to never doubt the faith, to never doubt God's love for me. And then when I came I was a Bible teacher, by the way, and I, I started my own business for the very purpose that no one could tell me when to go to work. I was a very independent sort, but I wanted time to study the Bible and to do evangelism and to teach the Bible as an evangelical Protestant, which I did a lot of. And then when I was 39, Charbel, I became a Catholic. 39. <laughs> 39 <laughs> years old, 27 years ago. So you did, yeah, you were teaching people about Christ and about the Bible before that. And, and how, to con how to convert Catholics out of the Catholic Church. I was very good at converting Catholics. They're very easy. You know, Catholics usually don't know their faith. And if a good Bible teacher like me back in those days would go confront a Catholic, I knew the right questions to ask, the Bible verses to read. I could usually pick a Catholic off the tree like a ripe peach and get him to be a good Bible Christian Baptist. But um I even I used to teach classes on how to do that. And I found a great wife, by the way, who also loved the Lord as much as I did. And we homeschooled our kids. And we were very um, happy evangelical Protestants until we started to see the problems with Protestantism. So people say, Steve, what was it that made you, what was it that you saw about the Catholic Church that was so beautiful that made you want to become a Catholic? What was it about Catholics that made you want to be like them? And I said, are you kidding? There was nothing about the Catholic Church. I didn't see anything. The Catholic Church was the whore of Babylon. The Pope was the Antichrist. And the Catholics I knew didn't have a clue. They thought you got to heaven by your works. They prayed to dead saints. They, they, they um, had tradition instead of the Bible. They had everything upside down. Catholics didn't have a clue. I could argue them out of a tree in a second. But I saw my whole journey began when I saw the problems with Protestantism. Protestantism has big problems that we couldn't solve. And I started, this is a whole hour talk that I give. Um, like you said on my website, I got that those CDs and things. But yeah. I give. I, I saw the problems within Protestantism and my wife and I said, there's no way we can fix this. And there's, how do we know which of the 40,000 different denominations we should join? Should we be Pentecostal or Assemblies of God? Or, you know, even now Mormons come up as a possibility, although they're not Christian. Don't anybody think you, that they are? All these different uh, Baptists and Lutheran and Baptists have a hundred different kinds of Baptists. How am I going to even have time in my life to study all them to know which one is right? 
And my wife said, I can't go listen to a preacher and call it worship. There's something missing. It might be good preaching, but it's not worship. And I said, well, how can we all have the same Bible from God? And yet we all come up with different ideas and conclusions. And I said, it's chaos. The Holy Spirit must be very confused. And how many churches did Jesus start? He said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build my churches. And he said, if your brother sins against you, take it to the church. He didn't say, take it to the Methodist church and go to the Baptist church. And I realized there's really big problems here. And I almost, in 1993, almost became an agnostic. Wow. Okay. For all the confusion of, of all the division among Christians. It, it was. I, I love being a Christian. I love the way I was raised. I love the Bible and I love Jesus. But all of a sudden, I didn't. If you don't have a church, I realized, where did I even get my Bible? Where did this Bible come from? It didn't just kind of boom, drop off heaven on the, oh, that's cool. Where'd that come from? Oh, God must have set that down. You know, that's kind of our way of thinking. And where did we come up with the definition of the Trinity? I mean, I don't see the word Trinity in the Bible. Well, where did we come up with it? I didn't realize that there was a Catholic church and bishops that had hammered these things out for hundreds of years, that they had decided which books belonged in the New Testament, that there was unity within the Catholic church worldwide, that there was a sense of authority. There was an official teaching of scripture in the Bible, and there was only one church that Jesus started. But I didn't see all of that at first. That took me time to discover that the Catholic church had the fullness of the faith before I was ready to lose all my family and friends to make that jump so was that um in that discovery was that a uh, personal discovery as you uh, were reading and studying or was it a, f a friend that introduced you what what was your i guess um that what sparked that um your opportunity to start looking into the catholic church when you um... we had no catholic friends oh, okay. we had no catholic our world was evangelical protestant Everybody that we knew or lived, our Bible studies, everything we did was evangelical Protestants. I didn't even know any Catholics. And the ones I did maybe know, they had no clue about the faith. And my journey began when we saw the problems. But I do have to say that a good friend of mine, and many people know him from Catholic radio named Al Cresta. And he is in the United States. He does a show every uh, on EWTN and Ave Maria Radio, Sirius Satellite Radio, so on. But he and I were best friends for 12 years. And he's one of the smartest guys that I know. He was also a Bible teacher and a pastor. He had a radio show, the number one evangelical Protestant radio show in Michigan, our state Detroit area. And one day after 12 years of being studying the Bible together, homeschooling our kids together, spending Sunday afternoons together, he says to me one day over dinner, well, you know, Steve, uh, my wife Sally and I, we... Uh, we kind of decided to go back to the Catholic church. <laughs> and, wow. I said, <laughs> and I said, Al, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're way too smart to be a Catholic. What are you thinking? And he says, well, Steve, we've been working on it all here. And uh, we decided, and I said to Janet, don't, we aren't going to talk to him about it anymore. We're going to prove he's wrong. Now I didn't know any other Catholics and I didn't talk to Al about this at all, but I did go to books and I have to say, Charbel, that my wife, Janet, and I read our way into the Catholic Church. It wasn't by going to meetings. It wasn't by meeting guys like you. It wasn't like by listening to podcasts. It was by books. What I did in a short is I took the books out and I invited Ignatius of Antioch, Clement of Rome, Irenaeus of Lyon, Polycarp of Smyrna, Clement of Rome. I invited all of them into my living room. And I said to them through the books, you guys were the very first Christians. You knew Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, all these guys. You knew Paul. 
tell me what you believed. Did you have lots of churches back then? Did you believe you get saved by faith alone? Did you believe in Bible alone? And Clement would say, well, Steve, I'm sorry. He said, but there was no such thing as a New Testament back in our time. Well, Clement, how did you come to know about Jesus? We heard the preaching of Peter. Well, Ignatius, did you have pastors in your church? Did you have Baptist? No, we didn't have Baptist churches, Steve. He said, we had bishops and we had priests and we had deacons. And I'm talking to these first century Christians through the means of books. And they were telling me I was wrong. They told me I was a heretic. For example, Ignatius of Antioch said, beware, first century, this is guy, he died in 106 as an old man. He knew Peter, Paul, and John. He says, beware of the heretics who refuse to partake of the Eucharist because they deny that it's the very, very body and blood of Jesus that hung on the cross. First oh, wait a minute. That yeah. doesn't sound very Baptist Protestant to me. Are you telling me, Ignatius, and I, I closed that book and I said, are you telling me that Jesus hanging on the cross, that is now the same thing as the bread and the wine that you can't? Yes, it is. He said, that's, brought, that's turned into the body and blood of Christ. You really believe that? He said, everybody believes that, don't you? And I said, no. And he says, through 2,000 years of history, he points right at me at my nose. And he said, Steve Ray, you're a heretic. And I didn't like these first century guys calling me a heretic. And the more Janet and I read those books, the more I was convinced to be of the Catholic faith. And then I did have one friend who came into my life. His name was Paul Brandenburg. We'd been friends since we were two years old. We used to ride tricycles together. And he was leaving to be join a cult back in the 70s. And I invited him to come to my house and I convinced him to be an even, he was Catholic. And he had gone to the military and came back and gave up his Catholic faith and was going to become a Mooney, one of those Moonies, you know, from Korea, and leave the Catholic faith. And I said, look, you really need to read Francis Schaeffer's books. And I gave him a Bible and all these things. And he became an evangelical Protestant. But he soon saw the shortcomings and went back to being a Catholic. When he heard about me and my reading these things, he, he called me one day. He said, Steve, uh, I, I, I want to tell you that if you really love Jesus enough and you really take it serious, someday you're going to become a Catholic. And I said, shut up. I don't need to hear you say that. He said, well, Steve, I'm telling you that. He said, because it's the fullness of the faith. It is the church. And if you love Jesus enough, eventually you'll become Catholic. Well, I didn't want to hear that. But over time we did. And I'll tell you how that happened if, whenever you're ready. The, yeah, the so, day it changed. So now you're, um, you're still in that, you're still fighting that off, right? So you're in that yeah. stage where you're, you don't, you're, you're reading what you're reading. You're, being, you're, you're taking this on board. These early church fathers are talking to me, uh, not liking what you're reading. Tell us now, what was it? That, how long was the journey, the transition of, um, you know, being closed to the Catholic faith and then eventually being open to that? It's possibly actually, it's possibly true. You know, tell us it about went that. very fast. It was the end of the year, 1993. My wife and I got married young and we decided we were going to do everything together. We were going to be a team. And this was part of it. We, we did this all. We studied and worked on this together too. It was a teamwork. And we started, let's say, let's look at Mary. All right. I know the Catholic church is wrong about Mary, but let's try to understand what, and all of a sudden we said, Ooh, the Catholic church was right about Mary. And I have to say that I learned more about Mary from the old Testament than I did from the new. Maybe that's a talk we could do another podcast sometime. Love to. And how did I come to find, discover the truth about Mary from the old Testament way more than from the new Testament. And then we did the papacy about the Pope. Wait a minute. The Catholic church is right on that too. And one big thing at a time, we would attack it 
and it would melt in front of us. The reason was, is I was willing to take off my Baptist glasses mm-hmm. to be able to maybe put on a pair of Catholic glasses just to see it the way Al was seeing it or to see, because the Catholics had maintained this unity and they seemed to have certain things together the more I started reading it. And the things that the fathers of the church taught is what the Catholics believe. If you start with a catechism, you can trace it all the way back. And the Catholic church claims that there's an unbroken chain all the way back. No links are missing. A link here, link here, link. There's no chain all the way from today in the catechism back to the Jesus. There's no links missing in the Catholic chain. And that really bothered me because if I could find one missing link, then I didn't have to become a Catholic. Never found it, by the way. So after we did this, I, I, we studied and studied. I also went to Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox classes and liturgies because I was considering that as a historical thing. There's a whole story to that too, which I don't have time to go into. But we decided that wouldn't work and for a lot of reasons. It's in that book, Crossing the Tiber. Yes. On New Year's, um, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, 1993, on, on New Year's Eve, we were at some Baptist friend's house and they were trying to save us from our lunacy because they could see the direction I was heading. And so he was challenging me all the time. And I said, Jim, just a minute. Do you realize that if you and I were 39 years old, when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, we would never have read the gospel of St. John. And he said, why not? And I said, because it wouldn't have been written in our lifetime. John didn't write his gospel till the end of the first century. We would have been dead. We would have been worm food long before that book was written, Jim. And that's the book that talks about being born again in John chapter three, verses three through five. We would have never known about being born again because we wouldn't have the book. Jim, how did those first Christians know how to love Jesus, what to do on Sunday morning, how to get saved if they didn't have the book? So I came, I'm driving home that night in the dark and I said to Janet, you know, this is really getting scary. And she said, what? I said, the more we argue against the Catholic church, the more we're coming right in, backing ourselves right in the front door. Without even intending to, we're backing ourselves in the Catholic door just because we're learning. Well, that was New Year's Eve of 1990, New Year's Day, 1994. We had all the books open. It was Saturday. And at two o'clock in the afternoon, we're studying away. Listen, I'm listening to a few conversions, sorry, back on cassette, cassettes. Remember cassettes? I do remember I think, cassettes. <laughs> I think a lot of li- your listeners will say, what's a cassette? That's like, what's a record? What's an eight-track tape? You know, they won't remember those things. Real to real. Anyway, a cassette, never mind. I won't explain it to them. We're listening to cassettes about, of conversion stories. And I was reading in the books. And all of a sudden, at two in the afternoon, I closed all my books I sat down on the living room floor and I started to cry like a baby. Tears are running down my cheeks. And Janet looked over and she goes, Steve, what's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong, Janet. I, I just realized I'm a Catholic. And she says, you're a what? I said, I'm a Catholic. I just realized that. Well, I called Al Cresta on the phone. The guy that I had told a year ago, he was stupid. Remember? Yes. And I called my stupid friend. (laughs) And I said, "Hell, happy new year. Guess what? I'm a Catholic. And it was like this. I'm a Catholic. Hello, Al, are you there? Hello, Al? Finally, he says, what did you just say? I said, I'm a Catholic. He said, what happened? I said, my pride broke. I just realized Jesus started a church and I want to be part of his church not all the man-made denominations and churches. I want the one Jesus started. And he said to me, because it was Saturday, well, how would you like to go to mass with us tomorrow? Well, 
We had never set foot in a Catholic church even once. We had never met a Catholic priest. I had never met a Catholic who could explain or defend the faith. And here he's asking me to go to a Catholic mass. All the reading I had done, I had realized the Catholic church was true, but I never realized that if I was going to say the Catholic church was true based on books, that someday I'd have to actually go to a Catholic mass where they have statues there. And they, oh my goodness. Anyway, so I covered the phone. I said, hold on a minute. Janet, he wants us to go to mass. What should I tell him? She says, tell him we'll go, but we're going to leave the kids at home. We want to get there late. We're going to sit in the back row, and then we want to leave early before it's over. And people said, wow, you were real American Catholics from the first day. But he got us there early, sat us right up in the front, and we had confirmed everything that we had learned was true. Wow. Wow. Well, um, it was an exciting mass, if you want me to tell you a little yeah, bit. About yeah, just, uh, that's what I wanted to dive into. And then uh, and then very soon after that, um, there's a very interesting story um, as well, before we open up for questions. But keep those questions coming. I'm seeing the comments, and we'll get to them uh, very soon. Well, we went to that mass. Everybody stood up. The music started playing, and everybody stood up, and they turned around and looked backwards. And I, we never did that in our Baptist churches. And actually, we went to Presbyterian, Methodist, Reformed, all kinds of them. But none of those churches did they. everybody stand up and look backwards like this. So I thought, surely somebody had died and fallen down in the aisle, and something was really serious. So I stepped out of the aisle, and I turned around and looked back to see what was wrong. And there was nothing wrong. All I saw was up that aisle was coming a priest, and I had never been that close to a priest in my life. And having read about the early church, I knew what a priest was. He was a man who had a bishop's hand on his head, who had ordained him a priest, and that apostolic succession went down all through the bishops, all the way down to that priest named Father Ed. And I didn't know who he was, but I knew exactly who he was. He was a priest of the most high God who had a hands of bishops laid on him and could trace it all the way back to the apostles. When he came by me in that aisle, Charbel, I started to cry again like a baby. Second time in two days. Being a Catholic, don't tell anybody, but being a Catholic's turned me into a big crybaby. Anyway, so I just was crying and the priest walked by and I was just sobbing. And I turned and looked at my wife, Janet, and she was crying too. And we cried through the whole mass and we wow. cried through every mass for the next six years. It had had such an impact. We saw that mass for what it was. It was so beautiful. We had never experienced anything like that in our Protestant churches. After the mass was over, my wife, she clenched her little fist. She's only about 100 pounds. She never gets mad. When she goes to confession, I say, what are you going to confess? I can't. Eat. I live with you every day. What are you confessing? You're so sweet. She says, I am so angry. And I said, why are you angry? She said, I'm angry that my Protestant past lied to me about the Catholic church. But she said, I'm even angrier at the Catholics because they never had the guts to tell us we were wrong. Yeah. And I tell people, if you take that as a challenge, good. Be challenged by it. Well, we went to the priest, and I'll quit with this quick story. And I said, Father Ed, I know your name because I uh, looked it up here in your bulletin thing. And I know your name. Um, and my name is Steve, my wife, Janet. And we just became Catholics yesterday. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean Catholics yesterday? I said, we did. We became Catholics yesterday and we want to join the church this week so we can have Holy Communion next Sunday. And he looked, he said, well, well, that's not the way we do it. What do you mean you became Catholics yesterday? I said, I have. I've been reading for a year. I said, you come over to my house. I'll show you all the books I've read. And I know it's true. And so my wife just this morning said, I know it's true too. So now we're Catholics and we want to join this church. He says, well, 
that's not the way we do it here. You you have to go to RCIA for two years. You have to take these classes and you have to pass a test. And if you pass all this stuff, then you can become Catholic in two years at the Easter vigil. I said, are you kidding me? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why don't you, I want to be Catholic now. Why do I have to wait for two years? He said, well, we got to make sure you know. I said, I do know it. You come to my house. I'll show you all my books. I have 20,000 books in my house, Father Ed. I've been reading all the ones about the Catholic, and I bought a whole bunch too about the Catholic Church. So come see all the books I've read, and I want to join the church right away. But he he said, he was, he stuck to his guns. He said, it's not the way we do it around here. But eventually, um, he did call, made us take a test. And he let us come in on Pentecost Sunday, May 22nd, 1994. Our whole family came in on Pentecost Sunday. We didn't have to wait two years. He let us come in early because I guess I convinced him we knew a little bit anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Praise be to God. And, 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 and now we look back at the work you've done. You've been um, super active as a Catholic. And um, one, one of the great early um, stories, uh, and this is in, a, in, a, in an old DVD. I remember um, St. Joseph Communications recorded um, where we had uh, Deacon Alex Jones. I remember that story, and and, and you played a, a major part in his life. And and, and may he rest in peace. He's not with us um, uh, physically, although we pray he's uh, we pray he's in a better place and, and looking down. But uh, what a story he has! And you came to Australia with him uh, ten years ago, and that's where we met. Uh, um, yeah. Both yourselves and your wives came, and, and it was such a beautiful uh, tour. We went all over the country, uh, five cities, over forty talks, twenty uh, ten thousand people across that tour. Yeah. Um, but you played an instrumental part in his uh, conversion, and, and it was beautiful in his case as a Pentecostal. Um, not only he became Catholic, but half of his church. And, and just um, uh, any comments on that? And then I'd like to then open up for questions and, and then invite people to get to know more about your work. Well, yeah, um, I, I just also uh, preface that with I had a business at the time. I had at that time 600 employees. We were doing $12 million a year, and I started this out of my dining room. When my wife and I got married, we started this little business and it grew and grew and grew to 600 employees and 12 million or more, I don't remember now, dollars a year. And But when I became Catholic, I lost interest in it. I wanted to make movies in the Holy Land about the faith. I wanted to teach the Bible now from a Catholic person. I wanted to write books. I wanted to do all you know all this stuff. So lead pilgrimages. So I sold my business and I get, that was 12 years ago. And now I just give all my life to doing this is what I love. Now, one day I got a phone call because my book Crossing the Tiber had come out and I started giving talks about and people kind of got to know me a little bit. And I got a phone call one time and I could tell he was a black man, but a dignified black man. I could tell the older dignified man. And he said, are you Steve Ray? And I said, yes, I am. He said, of all the men in all the world, I need to speak to you. And I said, well, first of all, why do you need to speak to me? And who are you? He said, my name is the Reverend Alex Jones. He said, I am the pastor of a Pentecostal church down here in Detroit. And I heard that you converted from Protestant to Catholic. And I've never heard of anybody doing that before. And I'm in the midst of learning about the early church and the apostolic fathers. And I'd like to talk to you. I said, how about we go to Big Boy's restaurant? I'll meet you there Wednesday afternoon. 12 o'clock, we met and we sat. We talked for all afternoon. He had a thousand questions. He wanted to know what the early church did this. Why did we believe the Pope? Did they really practice the real presence of Christ? How did all these questions? And I, but these are the same questions I had wrestled with. Yes. He said, can I meet you again next Wednesday? Sure, same place, same station, same restaurant. We did that every month 
for almost a year. And he would bring all of his questions. Sometimes he'd bring one of his elders or friends and we would talk and talk. I introduced him to a couple other guys like Dennis Walters and others. And eventually he decided to become Catholic, but he said, I can't do it yet because I want my people to come with me. And he was a man who sacrificed his own desire to become Catholic for over a year so that he could keep working with his people and convince them. And as it was 69, a lot of them walked away and said, Alex, you're no longer our brother. We can't shake hands with you anymore. You have gone into heresy. You have gone into um, the the uh, heresy and the truth of that Catholic church. And we, we can't walk with you anymore. But 69 of them came into the church with him. And we were there for that service. And my wife was the sponsor for his wife. Her name was, her name's Donna. And my wife, Janet, was her sponsor. And another guy that I had introduced uh, him to that had really gone almost every day with him, teaching him the things. His name was Dennis Walters, a deacon now. And we were there. And Alex, it was so moving because there was that Easter vigil. And you see this whole group of 69 black folks Beautiful as could be. I never saw more beautiful people in my life walking up that aisle with tears in their eyes. Alex, their pastor, leading them. Praise God. Yes. And Alex said he carried his pastor's robe. And he carried the, even though he knew he wasn't having the Eucharist, he had the chalice and the patent that he used for the Lord's Supper in his church. And he carried them up with him, with his people behind him. And he laid them under the altar. And he said, I will not pick them up again until God allows me to do so in the Catholic Church. And he did become a deacon so that he could bring those things back, not as a priest, but as a deacon where he could serve and preach and do those things. That was very emotional. I can imagine. Woo, good grief. Sorry okay. about Thank that. Thank you for sharing it. And um, what I love is your genuine um, authenticity here, because this is real. And, and people watching and listening to this, this is this is real, um, real life stuff here that where people are struggling and, and and going through this, finding the truth. But the joy once you come in the fullness of the truth in the Catholic faith, once you taste it, you know it's overwhelming. And I highly encourage everyone get to know Alex Deacon Alex Jones's story. Um, no price too high. We've got the book as well available. Uh, no price too high as well as the CD and the DVD. Um, and then, and that's, uh, we've got the digital um, versions of those as well. Re highly recommend it. Go to the Perusia Media website. But um, uh, the actual book, Crossing the Tiber, we're, we're going to do a special on this for those watching. And you're going to get 20% off. All you've got to do is go to our website. You put in a code um, and the code will be the initials. Basically, PP for Perusia Podcast, then SR for Steve Ray, and then C. T, T for crossing the Tiber. And you do that and you'll get 20% off this book. We want as many people reading this because uh, it's so moving and, and it, it is amazing. And, and thousands of people have come back into the faith thanks to your witness, Steve, and your teachings. Um, I just want to uh, thank Steve personally. Uh, 20 years he talked about. That's how long I've known you, of you, Steve. Um, I came into the church or came back home, if you like, uh, 20 years ago. And, um, and you were very, one of the early voices um, that I learned from. Um, it was Scott Hahn, yourself, Tim Staples, thanks to St. Joseph Communications and EWTN side by side that gave us the exposure. And then I just fell in love with your work, the Footprints of God series. And, and then from there, we just needed to get you out here. And, and, and it was not, not far after that, we eventually got to see you and 
um, and have you here. And, and I was just blown away. And, and so it inspired me to keep going with the work we're doing. And, and praise God, uh, we estimate hundreds of thousands have come to events live and, and over a million online. So when we work out all the reach, um, and for Australia, little country of Australia, ends of the earth, praise God, um, it could have been very different. Uh, and in my case, um, I could have been, I was in the mosque, and I remember I finally put the story, uh, my conversion story out. It's just been launched. And I wanted to just say thank you to you because you endorsed this book, and, and I've got you as one of those endorsing on the back. Um, and you speak about Islam, and you are uh, interacting with Muslims in the Holy Land, and and so you know firsthand what it's like. Um, and, and so thank God I found the, the fullness of truth and came back home and uh, appreciate calling God Father because that's something we cannot take for granted. And I love how you touched on that a little bit at the start of this. But thank yeah. you for endorsing this. And, um, You're welcome. And that's available. But, and thank you for writing it. I'm looking forward to getting it. It hasn't arrived yet. I think the mail, the post is slower because of this whole virus thing. Uh, but if people want to know what I think about Islam, I gave a talk at Franciscan University right. a year ago at the invitation of Scott Hahn. And my talk was Islam, what every infidel should know. Yeah, and if you want to hear that talk, it's on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in Steve Ray Islam. It's had almost a million views so far. So Steve Ray Islam on YouTube, and you can listen to that hour talk. And what I, I think it'll open people's eyes to what Islam really is. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. Now let's dive in a few questions, and then uh, yeah. we'll we'll, um, we'll go here. So what I've got, I've got Lorraine asking: um, Is there one thing that that uh, you would suggest us do as we start to go back to mass to evangelize? What would it be? What would be the one thing uh, you recommend for people to do once we get out of lockdown? Well, I would. Say you could that question could be for you or for yourselves. But I think that what we should do is if you have children, especially, you should let them know how much you miss mass, how important it is. And on Sundays, you should do something special. I know my son and, and his wife, they have eight kids. They send me a video of all of them in their living room. They set up their laptop and they pick, they had a, a mass that they know our priest back here in Ann Arbor. And it's a very reverent mass. And they were all standing and kneeling and praying together from my son and my 17-year-old grandson all the way down to the one-year-old. And they had their missiles out and they didn't miss mass. And then their priest was very bold. The bishop made him stop, but he was giving out communion in the parking lot. And now he still comes out and the people from the church can drive through the parking lot and he brings the blessed sacrament out. Now, if you do that kind of thing with your children, if they know that even when you cannot go to mass, that you love the mass and you miss the mass and you're going to on Sunday morning, you're going to be just as reverent about it. Your kids will grow up Catholic someday. If you're saying, hey, this is kind of cool. We don't have to go to church anymore. You know, I uh, hope this lasts a while. Guess what? Your kids aren't going to be Catholic when they get older because children love what their parents love. If you love sports, that's what your kids are going to love. If you love the Lord, your kids are going to do it. Not 100%, but you know what I mean? Statistically, that's going to happen. So I would say that in the meantime, be missing it, especially if you have a family. Let the kids know and that you're anxious to get back. And when you get back, go back and enjoy it and be a part of it again and be grateful to God and let people around you know that you miss it. Let people know around that you can't wait to get back because most of the time people have this attitude, well, I really don't want to go to church. I have to. So, you know, this is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say that I, I hope that, but do the readings of the mass, read them as a family, make it part of your day. 
I know you can't go to confession, but I would encourage people, a family, to talk about confession. And the catechism says that even if you cannot go to confession, you can have even mortal sins forgiven if you have perfect contrition, meaning, dear God, I'm sorry, not just because I'm afraid of hell or it makes me feel bad, but I've offended you. And if you can really come before God and say, I'm sorry for my sins because they offended you and all loving God, and then you make up a, a strong resolution that as soon as you can get back to a priest for confession, you will. It says those sins will be forgiven, and but you still have to go to the priest later. But I think that parents should talk to their kids about that too. Kids are, are guilty about things. You know, when I had my young kids, when they were young, we went to mass every month together as a family. We made it a, every month. It was a routine. And guess what? Our kids still go to mass every month together with their kids. So I think that while you're in lockdown, don't forget your Catholic. And when you get back, let your kids know how happy and excited you are to be back. Thank you for that. I hope that answered your question, Lorraine. Um, our next one is uh, Salwa, who asked, do you believe that um, your guardian angel um, was uh, inspired your conversion through life by directing your path? My daughter, when she was young, Emily, um, I was being asked a question on journey home. And somebody asked me about my guardian angel. And I says, you know, I really don't know much about guardian angels. You'll have to ask my five-year-old daughter. And he says, why should I do that? She says, because she knows all about guardian angels. I said, she always sits on, on half of her chair at dinner. And she only sits on half of her chair with her little butt hanging off this side, you know. And I said to Emily, why get sit right in your chair? She said, I can't. Emily, I'm your father. Sit in your chair correctly. But dad, I can't. That's the space I save for my guardian angel to sit next to me. Well, little kids, I think, have a much better sometimes view of guardian angels. And then when they get older, they like like the one that's right behind you there, St. Michael with a sword, very masculine saint, you know. And um, but I think that, yes, I didn't know anything about guardian angels at the time. Protestants don't teach that. We weren't taught about those things. But I know that there are times in my life Charbel, and it one just happened to be a month ago where I was driving my car and I just looked down for some reason and looked up and just the last moment a car slammed on the brakes I saw enough to swerve over in the other lane around it a split second more I would have maybe been dead and I I just said whoa that that was very lucky for me but I, you know what I meant by lucky I said I think my guardian angel did something there there's been a few times in my life where I know that if that I should have been dead and, and I wasn't. And I knew that there was some divine intervention. But whether coming to the Catholic faith or not, I can't say. I didn't know about guardian angels really back then. If they, ha- I'm sure they did have an influence on me. But I know that I was a wild kid when I grew up. I have all kinds of broken bones. I rode motorcycles and horses and I fell off. I got kicked in the face by a horse. I broke this bone. I broke this bone in half. I broke I broke this bone. It's still broken. I fell. I was in Israel doing so. I fell over and I broke my finger in Israel uh, a couple months ago. So I've always been wild. And I know that my, I probably have two guardian angels. If you wanted to know the truth, God's yeah. probably given me two. Yeah, I can imagine. Absolutely. Well, um, uh, we actually have a, a, a common friend here, um, Steve Viven. Viven's on at the moment. This is Viven who uh, we sent this. We've been emailing. Hello, but, yeah. Vivian. We, and I called her Vivian because I had an aunt named Vivian. So I want to apologize for calling you Vivian when your name was Vivian. Nice to talk with you. 
Well, he's asked, um, why and how do Protestants and Catholics read and interpret the Bible differently? Uh, there's, a, I, I'm gonna, I have a document, and it's a short one on my website about the differences between how Catholics and Protestants. Hey, Vivian, send me an email. Again, you know it because you already emailed with me, and I'll send you a link to that article. There's four points that show the differences. I compare them between Catholics and Protestants in the way they interpret the Bible. Um, for example, Catholics try to understand the context, and we have a teaching magisterium. So that teach, I'll give you an example. If you see a bunch of children out on a playground playing, and there's no fence, and there's no supervision, and there's a bunch of big spiders over here, big juicy, mean ones, and they bite the kids and a bunch of snakes over there. And over on this side, there's a cliff and kids are falling off the cliff. And there's all these problems. And you're saying, oh my God, these poor kids. And then all of a sudden you see the same playground, but it has a fence around it. And now there's supervision, but it's the same playground. All of a sudden you go, whoo, the kids are safe. This is how I like it. The first one is like a Protestant playground. Protestants go to the Bible, but they don't have the fence, which is the tradition of the church. The tradition, the teaching of the fathers of the church and the saints all the way back, the consistent teaching has given us kind of like a fence that if you stay within that tradition, you're safe. But you look on the other side, you've got the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and everybody else that have fallen and all these other crazy de denominations, too, that just fell off. And it's it's dangerous. But when you look at the other playground and the, and the supervision is the magisterium of the church. So I have the Bible. I can study it in, in the playground. But there's the tradition, which is like the fence that keeps me protected from all those dangers. And there's supervision. Now, the magisterium of the church there to assist me based on the teaching of 2000 years. So that is one of the big differences between Catholic and Protestant. We believe that that we have a tradition that we work within and Protestants believe you just interpret it for yourself, that you can go to the Bible and you can pull that thing off the shelf. And I may have no training about the Bible whatsoever. I'm just a brand new born again. And I could start reading this and think I know everything about it. Well, who in the world am I? This is a complicated book. It's not easy. Even Peter says in 2 Peter, some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. Even Peter said some of Paul's writings are hard to understand, and many twist them to their own destruction. So we have the church to help us. It's the family book. It belongs in the family. It's not just my book. It's me and Jesus alone. Nobody else can tell me anything. The Catholic says no. It's to be read in the heart of the church. It's that family heirloom, the family now. But I will put up for Vivian, the, uh, if he sends me an email, I'll give him the link. And I'll give it to you, too, if you want to put it up on Facebook or something. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. But it shows the four basic differences of how Catholics and Protestants study the Bible. When you read that, you run right away say, oh, boy, I want to do it the way Catholics do it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Hope that answers, uh, Vivian, and thanks for your comments and um, and support there. We'll just um, – I'll, I'll go back to one uh, one more here um, before we wrap up. Um, we've Are you saying, one of the questions here, that the Bible is a Catholic book? Yes. Yes. Oh, it's definitely a Catholic book because there weren't any Protestants around for the first 1,500 years. They have no claim to it other than they snitched it from us and they, and they study it sometimes more than we do. And they can sometimes sing better than we can too, but that doesn't mean that they're right. But no, this book, the Old Testament, even the Jews did not have a collection. This is the big fat part is the Old Testament, right? That's the big fat part. Yes. Old Testament. 
Even the Jews, they read it, but they did not have a final collection. It was the Catholic Church that put together which of the final collection of books. Protestants took seven out. There's supposed to be 73 books in the Bible. Protestants only have 66. Then the New Testament was the writings of the apostles. It wasn't the writings of Billy Graham or Martin Luther. These are the writings of the apostles and the bishops. It took 400 years. There was no New Testament. The documents were written, but nobody had a collection. Some churches had different collections than others did. 400 years later, the synods of the, the Catholic Church and the Pope finally said, these 27 books are in the New Testament and they can be read at Mass. Interesting thing about it. That was never called the New Testament, the, the book. It's called the Scriptures. What's the New Testament? When you look in the Bible and say to the Bible, New Testament, listen here, book. What is the New Testament? You go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, and it tells you the New Testament is the Eucharist. This is the New Testament of my blood. Never says the book is the New Testament. It says the Eucharist is the New Testament. So the New Testament is not a book. It's a sacrament. This is the New Testament of my blood. So then why did the book get called that? Because this is the book that tells you about the sacrament. And it's the book that you can read at Mass when you're taking the sacraments. It's about the new covenant that's been formed. So it took 400 years before the church determined the 27 books, and the Protestants still trust the decision of the Catholic Church for those 27 books. And we're the ones that copied it for a thousand years. For the first 500 years, nobody had it because it wasn't all put together yet. For the next thousand years, nobody had it because this would cost three years wages. Paper wasn't invented until 1500s. Nobody had paper. If you wanted a Bible, you had to kill a thousand sheep or goats or lamb, and you had to tan the hide and turn it into what's called very thin leather called vellum. And then you had to hire a monk for three years with his pen to copy on that vellum. And a Bible would cost three years wages. Nobody had their own Bible. How could you say, well, here, you if you want to get saved, just read the Bible for yourself. Nobody had a Bible. It wasn't until the printing press got invented. And now we have everybody can have a Bible, but you still can't base a religion on it because everybody's reading it for themselves and starting every different kind of religion. This is why I say it's a Catholic book. We, we collected it. We preserved it and copied it through the ages before there was printing presses. We're the ones that have interpreted it. We're the ones that have protected it. We're the ones that have put it into all the different languages so that people could read it. It's our book. It's the family heirloom that should be read in the living room with the family. Amen. Amen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that flesh, yes. the bread the of, word of God is not a book. The word of God is a person. Yes. Amen. That's so beautiful. When did pilgrimages start back? In your opinion, have you got any insight as to when your pilgrimages will start back again? Um, I'm in touch with Israel and they're starting to loosen up now. Okay. And, you know, I, I just think that this whole lockdown thing only postpones the problem. Yeah. It's not stopping it. The virus is still out there. When you let people go, they're going to get exposed again. It's So Israel, I think, is realizing that. And they're starting to loosen up. They're opening shops and stores now and uh, barber shops and things. And they're talking about allowing people to start um, staying in hotels and flying into Israel again in May, the end of May or June. My next pilgrimage, and I started this one because we lost our May and April and March, April and May. And I said to those people, don't just quit. 
put your money over here in July and August, and we'll do one at the last, it's July 29 through August 9. Right. And so we've got one set up to go at the very end of August, and then we're going to be taking more in the fall. So I, I'm hoping and expecting we'll be back in Israel by the end of July. Excellent. I'll be the first one back. And, and you know what? What's really nice about this in a way, there was last year four and a half million tourists came. The whole population of Israel is even not nine million. And four and a half million tourists came everywhere you went. You had to stand in line, long lines, big crowds, hard to get in anything. When I go back in July, my bus is going to be the only one there. We're going to go with no lines, no groups. We're going to have the whole country to ourselves. There you go. So those who can wait, (laughs) July, August. But I'm excited about a Perusia partnership and Harvest March next year, 2021. Steve Ray, myself, I'm hoping we'll have a couple of others from the Perusia team and then we're going to get out there and and we want to fill a a couple of buses there and and get some Aussies um, with you. And I got one of my favorite priests from Alabama. Mobile, Alabama, good Southern boy, big kind of red curly hair. And he is so much fun. And I'll tell you, Aussies will love this guy. He's Southern Alabama. You know, he says y'all and he has that Southern drawl, but he is the most fun priest. Last time we went, he got a tattoo in Jerusalem. He went and got a big tattoo. He got the Jerusalem cross on his arm, a beautiful Jerusalem cross tattoo. And he said, I did that because I can never deny the Lord now. I can't deny him because it's printed right on my skin. (laughs) But he's a great priest, very reverent masses. You have confession along the way anytime you want. And uh, it's going to be a great time together. Right. I can't wait. The uh, um, uh, advertisement will come out in the next week or so. So look out for that. Uh, You um, and I just want to get to the bottom is how many a year were you doing before the lockdown? 11. 11 a year. And My wife and I do them all. My wife and I do them all. We go two days in advance, get it all set up. We meet everybody in the Tel Aviv airport, but we do seven a year to Israel, seven or eight. And then we do three or four to Lords in Fatima, Ireland, Poland, Mexico, St. Paul, Cruz, but seven a year to Israel. So that's 11 every year. And if you calculate, we've been doing this 15 years, just multiply 11 times 15. And we've been to the Holy Land almost 200 times now, I know. Are you a citizen there yet? <laughs> not yet. I'm not Jewish. I have to be Jewish to be a citizen. I'm only a spiritual Jew. But you know what? I did my genealogy. You know those tests you can do genealogy? And I oh, found yeah. out I'm, I'm 0.6 Eskenazi Jew. I could not have been happier to know that I have Abraham's blood flowing in my only 6.6%, but that's good enough for me. That's <laughs> Well, um, highly recommend people get to his uh, website, um, catholicconvert.com. You'll get to know all about that, um, including all the, the Footprints of God series. Super, super um, uh, important. This is fantastic going for salvation history. Um, maybe one a minute on that, and then uh, that's a whole show in itself. Oh, my goodness. Um, these I've are- done nine of those so far. Yes. Do we want to do the whole story of salvation history from Abraham to Augustine? I yes. only have one left to do, the doctors of the church. We've already done Abraham, Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, uh, David, and Solomon. That's covering the whole Old Testament. Then we did Mary, Jesus, Peter, and Paul. That covers the New Testament. Then I did apostolic fathers, all on location in France and Israel and Italy all over. And now we got one more to do next year, which is Doctors of the Church, and I'll have the whole 10-part series done. We've already cost us way over $2 million, and we've put 20 years of our life into it. Those all are 90 minutes. They're all on location. Even Abraham, we went to Iraq during during the ISIS days, 
and we filmed the whole early life of Abraham. We even went up the ziggurat, the pyramid that he would have worshipped at when he was a pagan. Before he was 75 years old and followed the God of glory, he worshipped Nana, the God of the moon. And I take you all through Iraq and show you his early life, human sacrifice and everything. And then I go through the whole Bible, and it's all fun. I fall in the mud. I wrestle snakes. I climb trees. I I ride horses and fall off. Even when I'm doing St. Paul in Damascus, I came down in a big basket. I hired a big basket with a rope, and I had these guys. They lowered me down the wall of Damascus in a rope, just like they did St. Paul. And uh, so the whole thing is a lot of fun. I, I'm falling in the mud. I mean, it's I'm, it's I'm like a little kid, but young people enjoy it. And there's study guides in them, so you can have family Bible studies and have fun watching them. <laughs> you know, it's it's got to be fun, Charbel. The Catholic, being a Catholic is fun. If you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. Amen. Amen. Jerusalem Jones. I love Brendan Quinn's comment here. Uh, you're a Jerusalem Jones. <laughs> That's what they call it. Now, That's kind of like the hat, you know, we're going to have a hat like Indiana Jones. That's right. And, and then Aussie too, you're, you're the um, crocodile Dundee as well. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question, Steve. And we've got uh, Louis Abraham's question here. Um, he's doing great, by the way. Louis uh, runs a page called Defend the Faith. Um, which Good for you, Louis. Good for you. But a great question. During your research into the Catholic Church, did Janet discover what you discovered? And was Janet following where you went? And what advice will you give partners if they are at different uh, points in their faith? Great question. Very, very important question. Janet and I, like I said a bit ago, we got married young and early, and we made a commitment that we were going to do everything together. And so this whole journey we did together. We spent our evenings studying this together. She would be on the couch. I'd be sitting on the floor. I'd be reading about uh, apostolic succession. She'd be reading about Mary. We would talk back and forth. All the kids, they heard all of this because at dinner, that's what we talked about. We brought our kids into every discussion. I used to bring Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons into the house and argue with them. And the kids would just sit there. Oh, dad's going to fight the Mormons again, you know? And they, oh, they just love that because they see dad really loves the faith and dad can answer the questions. I want to be like dad, you know, I want to be a Catholic like that. But so we did it all together, studied these things together, researched it together. And I have to say that actually Janet started it all because I was very busy with my business. And one day she said, I can't go to listen to that preacher anymore and call it worship. Something is missing. It may be good preaching, but it's not worship. Mm -hmm. She started the whole thing with that question. Then that just got the ball rolling. Well, I would say that we decided to come into church together because we studied the whole thing together. We still do everything together. I don't do anything without saying, Janet, what do you think? And she's all, what do you think? And we say, come to agreement and off we go and we do it together. You know, we we kind of become like-minded, but I would say this. I know people who have studied this in their basement, shut the door. Don't let my wife see. I'm reading apologetics. Don't let her think I might become Catholic. Sit down there and And then all of a sudden they pop it on their wife a year later. Guess what, dear? I'm going to become a Catholic. I've been studying for the last year. Now I'm going to become a Catholic. And the wife is insulted. You haven't respected my opinion, my intelligence, my partnership with you. You did this on your own. You never respected me enough to share it with me. I would say that a husband who's on this journey should bring his wife in. If she's not interested, go slow. Ask questions at mealtime. Ask her for her opinion. Talk about a passage of scripture that's controversial. Ask her what she thinks. Challenge her. Ask her to challenge you. Don't do this on your own. 
bring your wife in. And when you respect her mind, women already, men don't think they don't, women think that men don't respect their minds. They only want their bodies. If you respect a woman's mind and you bring her along and you let her talk with you and share with you, she'll respect you. And that respect sometimes is enough to bring them all the way across the border, all the way across the Tiber River. So move slow, include your wife, pray with your wife, ask for her opinion. If she wants to go, come to the Catholic church with you, but you go to the Baptist church with her, go have her come with you, go back and forth, talk about it together. Don't make a decision without her unless it gets to the point where she just belligerently says, no, I'm not going to do it and say, dear, I have to do this because I'm convinced it's from the Lord. Then there comes a time down the road where you have to make that decision. But I say with kids and, and spouses, move move slowly and bring them along with you. Yeah, good advice. Good advice. Um, I have an article on my website also called Six Rules for Dealing with Non-Catholic Family and Friends. And it's six rules that I came up with how to deal with people, especially in this conversion process. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Louis, for that question. I hope that answers it. And, um, and, and uh, we are out of time today, but I want to thank you, Steve. Uh, you're, you're, you're welcome. Always fun and uh, full of passion and you inspire us every time. And it's just so contagious. I can feel it on this side of the world. And, uh, <laughs> and please know that it is having a huge impact over here as well. So Good. keep going and, and, and let's pumping out that truth and, and do it with passion and love and zeal. Let's do this every once in a while. I enjoy doing this with you too. I want to support you. So let's do this every once in a while, especially maybe we can come up uh, as the pilgrimage gets closer. We can do an hour on pilgrimages, what you're going to see, why they're important and uh, just kind of give an introduction to the Holy Land and what you can expect over there. That sounds great. Maybe we can do one um, uh, while you're still in lock. Take advantage while you're in lockdown. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then another one as we start yep. promoting the pilgrimage. So that would be fantastic. Good. Um, finally, one last plug. So first of all, uh, the promo code, thank you to those already being purchased as we speak. Uh, people taking advantage of the 20% off. Put in that code, and the code's actually been posted here. Thank you to our guardian angel doing that. And the code, again, is PPSRCTT, basically the initials of Parisia Podcast, Steve Ray, Crossing the Tiber. Get this book. It's a bestseller. And, and then get to know this man and his, his beautiful faith journey and his family. Um, and, and I want to thank you for endorsing this book as well, Steve, which has been available and we've launched now. And thanks for your support on that. Um, we'll be praying for you. How do people get in contact with you? How do we uh, stay up to date with you? Catholicconvert.com. That's right. a real difficult one. I know that's a <laughs> tough one to remember. Catholicconvert.com. On there, I have resources, free things, hundreds of conversion stories that you can print out, hundreds of documents that I've argued with Baptist pastors and written about Mary and Eucharist and purgatory. I've got all of our videos you can watch of all of our pilgrimages for the last 10 years. You can do it, watch two-hour videos. You can go to Lourdes and Fatima, Ireland, Poland, all over the Holy Land through my videos. I've got the last 11 of them over the last 10 years. That's over 70 pilgrimages you can watch on video and kind of I explain it and I have beautiful music. I got a lot of stuff on my website and it's uh, and I've got a store there too, but I want you to buy stuff from Charbel. Don't buy my, if it's available on his store, buy it from him. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I love our partnership and we have an official partnership, uh, Steve Ray's books available at parousiamedia.com and through the feed here, you'll be seeing and thanks to our um, guardian angel here who's posting uh, all these links to the books uh, and resources, a wealth of knowledge and, and Bible studies are there uh, by Steve Ray. So I highly encourage you to do that. 
Um, thank you, everybody. Would you like to close in prayer, Steve, for us? And, sure. and we'll sign off that way. Something I, used, I couldn't used to do and I love to do now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your great blessings that you created us in your image. And even though we sinned against you, you sent your son and made a whole plan for our redemption and salvation. And then you gave us a church with priesthood and sacraments and all of the things that you've given to us. We are so ever grateful. Help us to live worthy of the promises of Christ and all the blessings you give us. Thank you for Charbel and his ministry there in Australia with Peruser Ministries. We pray that you'll bless our pilgrimage coming up next March. Uh, in, in the Holy Land and pray for all of the people listening that you would bless them and help them to understand, love, and defend the fullness of the Catholic faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Make sure you sign up to our podcast. We're on iTunes, on Spotify, on uh, the Google um, Play Store, and we also on our website, of course, perusiamedia.com. Take care and God bless. <laughs>